Welcome to Workplace Matters from Three Edges, the show where we join the cultural, spatial and technological workplace dots, one conversation at a time. My name is Ian Ellison. This episode of Workplace Matters is sponsored by the Workplace Leadership Programme, our partnership initiative with the British Institute of Facilities Management. It's time to unlock your workplace advantage, lovely listeners. The first course in the programme, Essentials of Workplace Leadership, is taking bookings for this July and November, and there are limited places. We've put together a really innovative and engaging workshop approach, complete with discovery missions, to gently challenge you and supercharge your workplace insight. We can tailor the course for in-house delivery too, focusing on your own business needs. Head over to bifm.org.uk and click on Courses, then Face-to-Face to learn more. Or, by all means, contact us directly at threeedges.co.uk. Okay, so this episode is a bit different. If you're a member of the British Institute of Facilities Management, or BIFM for short, or if you work in and around the facilities and workplace arenas, this is pretty much essential listening. Unless you've had your head in the sand, you'll be aware that on that snowy Thursday of March the 1st, the BIFM, now in their 25th year, announced their intention to change their name to the Institute of Workplace and Facilities Management and also to seek chartered status. Now, this announcement triggered quite a lot of industry interest and inevitable discussion on social, Twitter and LinkedIn in particular. The name change is currently open for qualifying member vote on the run-up to and including the AGM on July the 5th in Manchester. Now, it seemed clear from the comments that there were topics and issues worth digging deeper into to give listeners and BIFM members an opportunity for much richer context. So I invited the BIFM leadership team to take open questions directly and come round the table to discuss them on Workplace Matters. I'm delighted to say they agreed. So this is the first of two special episodes where I hand over the interview reins to Simon Iatru from Magenta Associates. Simon's a seasoned and talented built environment industry journalist. And if you're a regular listener, you'll recognise him from the Workplace Matters Metacast episodes 15 and 16. Simon's joined by key members of the Institute's leadership team, Chairman Steve Roots, CEO Linda Hasmanis, and Director of Insight Chris Moriarty. I'm there too in my professional capacity as Three Edges Director and Workplace Insight Specialist to talk about the research work Three Edges have been doing for the BIFM over the past year or so, and also to keep a beady eye on Simon because I think he fancies himself as the new Workplace Matters podcast host, the Cheeky Monkey. The BIFM had lots of questions to address and so there's loads to discuss. Simon's worked hard to combine questions to fit as many in as possible, so I'll specifically thank and name-check certain folks at the end of the second instalment. As I said, this is essential listening if you have an interest in the future of FM, the role of professional bodies, and especially if you're a voting BIFM member. So it's time, as always, for me to shut up and for Simon to take over. Enjoy part one, and don't forget to come back for part two.
As you might have already heard, I'm not Ian Ellison. My name's Simon Yatru. I'm a recovering journalist now pursuing a career in public relations. Um, I'm content manager for Magenta Associates. We're a uh, specialist in built environment PR and comms, and we dabble in facilities management and property and all sorts. So kind of brand new into this role. And uh, I've actually appeared on the uh, Workplace Matters podcast before as editor of IFM. We're here today with some of the BIFM's leadership team and Ian is joining us. Chris, you're quite new to this role in a way, just like I am to mine. Yeah, well, new and old. Uh, So second time at BIFM. So I'm Director of Insight at BIFM. As I say, second time here. have spent the last 15 years, majority of which in professional bodies, looking at how professions develop and evolve. The last three or so years... Um, before I came back to BIFM, spent at Leesman, so working in the in the workplace industry. Stephen? Yeah, hi. Um, Steve Roots, uh, current chairman of BIFM. Halfway through my tenureship as chair, I'm a facilities manager um, by trade, so I'm operational, look after a large retail portfolio in the UK. It's just really good to understand where we are, what we're doing, how we're moving forward. So today gives us that opportunity to sort of discuss that with our membership. Linda Housemanis, I'm the CEO of BIFM. Uh, I've been with BIFM for 11 years, primarily came here to fulfil BIFM's educational strategy, which was laid down by the board in 2006 to become a regulated awarded organisation, then took ownership of developing uh, new qualifications and professional standards so basically, I've been sort of moving around the business, sitting in different chairs and different responsibilities, and now honoured to be the CEO and taking the institute into the next era as a professional body. And uh, I'm Ian Ellison, and this is all a bit weird because normally I'm the host of this podcast, but for the purpose of this conversation, my day job, director at Three Edges, we are workplace insight specialists. And the reason I'm sat here at this table is we've been working with BIFM to explore this FM workplace and wider world of work relationships since early 2017. So I've been kind of involved in this journey in a kind of insight and research perspective for... Yeah, over a year now. How's it feel to be on the other side of the uh, podcast? It feels a bit meta at the moment, but I would say that, wouldn't I? You might, you have to be careful. Might get hungry with power here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna have to like seize the chair back. Or something. <laughs> right, well, I'll try. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. So uh, we're sitting around this table for pretty uh, exciting reasons. First of March, the BIFM had a bit of a, a big announcement: a proposal to change the institute's name to the Institute of Workplace and Facilities Management, got that right first time, and also to pursue chartership. So I think the uh, the purpose of today's podcast episode is to really kind of talk about exactly what this means for the facilities management industry now and in the future and uh, perhaps give the senior leadership team and Ian sitting on the table today an opportunity to tell members and all other interested parties a bit more about why this is happening. So I guess the best place to start is to talk about what this is and what it's called. I've seen it being referred to as part of a manifesto for change. What is a manifesto for change? In a nutshell, uh, the manifesto for change, it sets out to reposition facilities management and also the institute, emphasising its ability to make a real contribution to organisations' performance. Too long we've talked about the cost of delivering services rather than being able to attribute the value that good FM 
brings to organisations. Setsi Institute, the twin tasks of helping members to improve their skills. Still, there's much discussion in the industry about a skill shortage and to improve their status to meet the needs of modern organisations, to raise the profile of facilities management and the general understanding of the value that it creates. We also want to work towards addressing members' desire for chartered uh, body status, conferring standalone recognition for the FM profession. And this was some of the findings in the research that was carried out last year amongst our members, but also the wider FM and workplace uh, industry. A combination of reframing and charter status will help us achieve our ambition for the profession to realise its true potential. It's fair to say that this already generated a hell of a lot of debate. It seems to be all anyone's talking about. There's a sense that maybe the BIFM has a, a series of challenges ahead has done for a number of years. We can maybe frame those as uh, professionalisation. Uh, we've always been talking about brand recognition, certainly since I've been in the uh, writing about the sector for the last nine years. And, Linda, you touched on it there, moving away from this perception of kind of a cost-based profession and service to a value-based profession and service. So why now? Why are we having this debate now? And uh, why should it take priority? We're 25 years old. All good organisations need to adapt, they need to change, they need to evolve. If you stand still, you'll fall behind. And I think it's really key that as the industry moves forward, the professional body that is BIFM needs to you know, ensure that we're at the forefront of that. So it's really important as more emphasis is placed on workplace and we look at how facilities management as a profession, as a skill is evolving, that we really need to be pushing the boundaries. And so... It was a really bold step that was made by the board to say this is what we want to do. So we've been working on this for over 18 months now to try and position it to what we want to do and where we want to go. So it's really important that we put it out there. Yes, we knew we'd get some noise, but that was the intention because we wanted an open and transparent debate. Things like today are really helping us sort of go out there and making sure that we engage with the membership. Chris, you joined or rejoined the BIFM, I think, two weeks before the announcement was yeah. made. So it was really kind of out of the frying pan and into the fire for you. You know, to be honest, I don't think I would want it any other way. You know, when you look at careers and stuff, there's always that thing about going back. You know, everyone sort of says, don't go back, don't go back. And, and when Linda and I were talking just prior to me sort of signing on the dotted line, if you like, what excited me about it was all the change. Because danger of sort of overdoing a, a, a quote but you know the Einstein thing about you know doing the same thing and expecting different results we've all been to those FM conferences and there's just constantly the same rhetoric coming out and out and out and you kind of think to yourself what happens when everyone walks out the door what do they do you know just sort of go back to what they've always been doing and then come back a year later and, and have the same gripes and same moans and I think there's always that kind of desperation for a magical solution to appear one day and we'll all get bought into it so coming back for me you know it wasn't the smoothest of kind of landings I didn't have much time to settle in but it's something I'm very passionate about I think it's a wonderful direction to be heading in you know a lot of people will see the the name change and and our intentions that's the external stuff that's the big external stuff but equally we're doing so much stuff internally it's just nice to be part of something that is that is like Steve says evolving but in a very, very exciting direction. And we did let you know before you... Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's really important. Yeah, it was, I was saying before we started recording, you know, someone said to me, well, you don't hang around. And I thought, 
it's such a weird thing. To, like, what sort of power do people think I have? Like, I arrived and said, well, we should probably change the name, don't you think? You know, I've, I've been thinking whilst I've been over at Leesman that we should change the name. But it's just such an thing. You know, I kind of feel a little bit guilty in that I've kind of parachuted in just when all these guys have been working, like Ian says, in terms of the free edges relationship shows you the length of time that this has been yeah. considered not necessarily the name change itself but just the, the sort of making sense of the future of the organization in the in the context of the profession mm. and i kind of come in at the end just when all the sort of hard work's been done but that's something that can get lost in an announcement because all eyes are on march the first and the press release and the information that is revealed at that point but it's been a real privilege to have been involved within that information providing data gathering and watching the decision making process based upon themes we've looked for the messages so much of that industry folklore which we actually all know mm. and it's there and it gets repeated but it's like well okay that's all the talk but what are we going to do about it what are you going to do about it and it was a bold step you know we, we looked at why we wanted to do this and and we felt that we get information back from our membership. Members were asking for more when we could see that. And the opportunity with the work that Free Edges did around the research, that gave us some really good feedback around where we're performing well and actually where we're a bit stale and where we need to improve. So, you know, we're a professional membership organisation. Um, we're there for the members. And so we've got to take that feedback on board. And the last couple of years, we've been concentrating on trying to ensure that we introduce things like our customer relationship management service tool, uh, improving the back office and the and sort of the customer interaction. And the time was right, so we've put lots of foundations into place, very, very strong, that allows us now to make that next step. Um, and so the timing works really well. And say that last 12, 18 months of having discussions at board, with Ian involved as well about where is the industry going to and how can we support that and how can we be at the forefront of what we want to do? If you want, I can sort of summarise some of those key findings about the industry side of things from the first piece of research because they're kind of really relevant now. The briefing paper is available on BIFM's website under Manifesto for Change, so it's really easy to find and there's a number of, if you like, kind of knowledge reports or insight papers. The first one, which was also released on March the 1st, was this briefing paper. FM and the Future World of Work, we essentially did a mixed methods, qualitative and quantitative piece of research, which ended up engaging with about 550 members and figures in the industry, but beyond BIFM membership. And, and you know, the, the headlines are BIFM should seek chartered status, it should be more active um, in promoting the profession and promoting the value of the profession, it needs to collaborate more. And, you know, you can think about collaboration. It's quite often that you kind of keep your blinkers on and think collaborate more within the built environment, but actually collaborate more in the wilder world of work, you know, and in terms of professional service business contribution. It ought to think about merging to have more strength and value. It needs to deliver stronger insights and have a, a stronger voice in terms of thought leadership. Thought leadership, it's not a term that sits well with me, but it makes perfect sense in terms of what people are asking for. And an actual real desire in the day to a need to change, a need to walk rather than talk. So it kind of tees you up for, well, if that's what the membership, the active, the vocal part of the membership that are prepared to offer insight, if that's what they're offering, then how do you respond yeah. to it? And I think it was really interesting because when we looked at the results of the data, there was nothing there that surprised us. And so as a board, as an organisation, we've been talking about the same things and we really wanted to test what our thinking was. So... The actual research then backed up where we felt we should be going. So 
it was a really good sense check. Yeah, I think there's a real danger. Everyone's already pointed out. For a lot of people, the 1st of March was the first they heard about it, mm. and they're not essentially privy to everything that's come before mm. all that research. And I guess for a lot of people, they say, well, hang on a minute, I'm a member. I don't agree with this. Mm. Not really thinking about all the people that you have spoken to, all those BIFM members that were behind a big mm. factor in this change. I guess one of the stats that sits at the very essence of this kind of shift was when we asked people on the spectrum to talk about what they see FM as. Mm-hmm. You know, at one end is looking after the building, at the other is looking after the enabling people, people enabling to work wherever they need to work. Wherever yeah. they need to. And I guess there has been, and we can sure talk about this idea that there's a kind of a bubble that we're all operating in. And, and, and sometimes you are a bit worried that, you know, just because that's something I believe and that, that I think of and that's my experience... What if I'm on my own? And what was reassuring for me was that we just saw that spectrum. It's still spread. You know, I'm not saying it's all lumped in at one end, but it was moving towards that enabling people to work kind of idea. And for me, if, if the FM profession are saying that, for us, we interpret that as saying, well, what we're essentially talking about here is the idea of workplace as a evolving conversation. That's kind of the heart of it. So for me, the we have been asking the questions. It's just not overt. You know, it's not, you know, it's not a question that goes out and says, would you change the name? Would you do this? It's about, I guess you're better at this than me, but from a research point of view, it's kind of leading the witness in a sense. What you want to do is understand so you can make decisions on top of that. You can yeah. use that to make, inform your decisions as opposed yeah. to... In a, I mean, in a nutshell, there's the kind of two very classic ways to do research, which is you have a hypothesis which you seek to test, or you say, I don't have a hypothesis. I want to go out and gather data and see what's in the data. This was a piece of research that very definitely wanted to see what was in the data. But with a professional body, I guess, and I'm sort of keeping my research hat on here i guess there's always i mean all organization there's always a political element of stuff and in terms of strategizing in terms of thinking about how you you thrive and do the best for your membership in the future some things you might want to be interested in testing without necessarily declaring how that might play out you might have a number of different ideas and you might marry the data that you get with okay so which of our potential futures does that best fit with it's worth pointing out that you know this research was originally intended to inform the board and the executive in terms of how they make their future strategy decisions what we realized was as we went through this that the data was so good and so rich it's a missed opportunity not to actually use it to drive better insight out there as well i myself have been here for 11 years and for 11 years i've been listening i've been working with employers i've been working with individuals i've been working with academia and yes you know we have developed the career pathways and the qualifications and the apprenticeships etc which all are great products to professionalize an industry but also you're listening to that wider conversation as to what is really the issues and the challenges of society, businesses, organisations, etc., and how can we help? And therefore, as an organisation, do you just stay as you are? I think, OK, we've developed our services now, we've developed our products, and you just then put your stake in the ground. Read someone at the weekend, purely by chance, goes back to Albert Einstein, one of his quotes... It said, life is like riding a bike. You have to get the balance, but once you've got the balance, you have to keep moving. And I feel that's exactly where BIFM is at the moment. It's got to reflect what is going on in the industry. If you speak to any company out there, they are going through monumental change. If we are to represent that industry, represent that profession, 
we have to change. We have to change our mindset. And therefore, we've spent, you know, certainly since I've been CEO, I've been sort of looking at the balance here, looking at the sort of capability of the organisation from a technological point of view, a cultural point of view, a skills point of view. Now it's time to sort of start that motion now, and we now have to keep moving uh, as an institute, but also to reflect the growing needs and the changing needs of the profession if we are to really service it. Having written about FM for the last eight or nine years and, and seen this change and, and seen how popular the idea of workplace um, has become. I think it's important, though, as well. Workplace is not just about the office. So sometimes that gets lost in the conversation. So workplace is so much more than just an office environment. It's a destination. It can be a venue. So it can be a stadium. You know, it could be a school or a hospital. You know, a lot of things around workplaces, let's be honest, it's about increasing productivity, about increasing efficiency and effectiveness. This is the language that business is talking, and it's not just in office environments. So this is really high on the agenda of UK PLC and beyond. And so it's a really good opportunity for, you know, FM professionals. We've been banging on the door around boardroom for years and years and years, and we haven't got in. So let's talk about something that really has an impact, which is people, rather than just space. Because if you look at the costs, 80% of a business costs are down to the people. So a 1% or 2% increase in productivity, efficiency, effectiveness has a massive impact on that overall business. We have to make sure that we don't get lost, that this is not just a, an office-based conversation. This is about every single facility and can apply across the board. Workplace is a topic, is gathered sting. I mean, we mentioned it even in the report. It's not a new concept. Some of the earliest definitions of FM has workplace quite close to it, but we the two paths, as Ian puts it, kind of separated out a long time ago and they haven't really reconnected until, until just recently. But whether it's it's been inspired by the tech firms that have really embraced the idea that the physical environment they put their people in is a real game changer for them in terms of talent and performance once they're in there, organisations are starting to take notice now. There there are conversations, partly because of a lot of the good work that you know we've done, you know, workplace conversations, Stoddart Review that we were involved with, other organisations have done to try and make the case. I think you know they've played a role, but for whatever reason, organisations are taking notice now. Now, I spent just short three years working for an organisation that goes into these organ uh, into to businesses to look at their workplace and, and measure the effectiveness. So there's a great opportunity there, but I would say I would temper that with the reality that often I was in those rooms. FM wasn't there. So just to qualify that bit then, because this is interesting. So you're saying you're going into, in your previous role, you're going into measure workplace effectiveness <clears> and you're walking into a room of people and FM aren't at the table because they're not invited or because they're not interested. Don't know. Okay. I you know, ne- never checked and qualified it, but there was too often. I'm not saying all the time. And clearly, you know, if you're talking about some of the things in yeah. there, there would be. But there was times where... You know, it'd be someone who's a real estate director. So he's looking at a portfolio management. It was great for me, and we were dealing with some amazing organisations, but there was always part of me, because of my you know, my history, uh, having been here before, I said, like, where is FM in this? And a big part of this for me is that it's said with bias. So I'm never going to get away with the fact that I've got some bias in there, but I can't imagine anyone who's better placed to really embrace workplace as a whole than, than the FM community. I, I can't... You know, everyone else sort of has little bits of what I would consider to be the whole. But FM and professionals have that ability to have that. The danger is if if we ignore it and if we focus on some of the bits that doesn't connect with the wider business conversation, 
this whole idea of being marginalised and this whole idea of being not recognised, I, I can't see it getting any better. In fact, I can only see it going one worse. way. Mm. So we've got to, it's a scary thing for an organisation to change its name and stuff, but I, I think as well as a profession, to we're making a big promise to the business community. We can make your workplaces better. The thing now for us as a business and us as a profession is to back that up. I think it's a really interesting thing that you said earlier, Linda, when you said you talked about helping the profession meet its true potential. And your strapline at the moment is BIFM, advancing our profession. Mm, yes. And, and and you know, great work seems to have been done, but there's something about true potential. And Chris, you talked about you something that I, I, I get very passionate about. If you look back in the history of FM to what how FM came to be, it kind of was born out of people who were really, really interested in workplace. And the the phrase facility management kind of got imported to the UK. And some early conversations about facility management were about expert workplace management. But there's also this potential for a facility services industry to grow. And what we see now, I think you put a figure on it when we were talking yesterday, Mm. 120 billion global facility Mm. services industry. So that shows the scale of the thing that delivers services but then you look at some of the biggest providers in this, and what is Sodexo's current strapline? Facilities, services that enhance the workplace experience. So we're doing what to achieve what? Mm. The workplace, this is what it's in service of. It's the why. You mentioned there about the uh, the name change, and that's already been, I don't know if it's fair to say, one of the more controversial uh, aspects of this whole thing. I, I guess there's a tendency for people who have grown up with their careers have progressed with the title British Institute of Facilities Management, and they're, they're protective over that. So why do you want to remove British from the name? It really sets our intention about wanting to achieve chartered body status. So, you know, chartered does reinforce the British. But if you look at ourselves as an organisation, we've got members in 80 countries, so we've got a wide spread of membership. The majority, yes, absolutely, the UK, and very, very proud of you know of our UK membership. But we look beyond that as well. So for me, it was a really clear intention from day one that we're really positive about what we're doing, about we want to achieve chartered body status. So we'll put our flag in the ground and say, do you know what, let's drop the word British now because we're going to have to do it at the point at which we achieve chartered body status anyway. Do you have to do it, or is it a double, like, if you're chartered, then that implies the British so strongly? Yes. Yes. Okay. That needs clarification, does that? Yes. So you wouldn't have the chartered British Institute. You can have the chartered institute, or, you know, if you look at REBA or RICS or so, and they will, you know, have the Royal Charter. So they're sort of quintessentially British. Yes. But without British in the Without British. So actually, it, it covers both camps, so it allows more from an international perspective for people to feel as though the Institute is for them as well, but also gives you that ability to be part and parcel of a chartered body, which is, you know, important in certain parts of the world. Having read some of the questions, I think it's probably a good opportunity for everyone around this room to really clear up what it actually means to have charter status. There was one concern from a member mentioning that it might alienate a proportion of the members of the move. I think you're right, Simon. I think there is a, a misunderstanding. The process is twofold. The first is to become a chartered body. And it's very, very, very similar to the process that BIFM went through when we became a regulated awarding organisation. So the first part is where the organisation itself becomes the chartered body. 
So our membership, uh, existing individual members, will be retain their membership, whatever grade that might be, but they will then be a member of the Chartered Institute, etc., etc. It is only after we have been successful in achieving Chartered Body status, so we become the Chartered Institute, that BIFM will seek the power to hold the register of Chartered Professionals. We recognise the FM profession, people come into it through lots of different other careers. We will also have individuals who are existing members of other professional bodies. So I'll give you an example. You might have somebody who has come up through the HR route. So they have gone through uh, CIPD, through their qualifications. They are a member of CIPD. They've now got additional responsibilities, which now move into workplace or facilities management. But they're still proud of their membership with CIPD. So what we're saying, by having the register of chartered professionals, we can then license other chartered bodies to award those chartered status. So it could be a chartered workplace officer. It might be a chartered facilities manager. We will set the criteria, but we would not look to only be the only chartered body awarding individual charter status because we have to recognise that people who work in FM and workplace come from lots of different arenas, different disciplines, project management, surveying, IT, accountancy, and therefore those individuals may have an allegiance with other professional bodies, which they will see as their dominant professional body. So I'm going to take my researchy workplace three edges hat off, Linda, and I'm going to put my BIFM member hat on, Mm -hmm. because I am, and I have been for a long time. I've been ABIFM, MBIFM, I'm now CBIFM. So if I'm CBIFM, do I have to become chartered to stay as a member of BIFM? Or can I just stay as a member of your chartered body if it achieves chartered status? You can just remain as a member. So you're currently a certified member of BIFM. Yeah. When BIFM becomes the chartered body, you will be a certified member of that chartered body. And then if I wanted to, I could, assuming you achieve the register status that you're seeking, I could aspire to being a chartered professional of your chartered body. Correct. So it sounds like there's a home for everybody. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Because, you know, in years to come, obviously, chartered status is at a certain level. We when you say certain level, do you mean academic level? It's usually at level six, which is degree level. However, and I'll make this very, 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 very clear, that does not mean to say that every single person who wishes to aspire to individual chartered status will have to go and achieve a degree in facilities management or workplace. There are so many people with so many, so many, so many years' experience, so we will have a professional competence route for those individuals. So currently we have a certified grade of membership, and that is for individuals who have achieved a BIFM Level 6 or a degree or will have other qualifications at a you know the same level but from sort of different disciplines which we recognize those certified members will naturally become the chartered members of the chartered institute once we become a chartered body we will have chartered members at level 6 but there will always be membership grades for people who have not achieved that level or desire be- or desire, desire because they're either 
they're happy in their role, they've got their, you know, their job title, they've got a membership of the chartered body, and that is right for them. So BIFM has always been absolutely proud to be a very, very, very inclusive professional body, and we will never, ever, ever lose that. So we will never be turning anybody away because they feel an individual cannot achieve that level six. Can I just ask, um, you talked there about facilities management being a a broad church Mm. in that sense, inviting lots of people. But then, Chris, you 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 were talking there a bit earlier about this problem that there might be in some parts a bit of a bubble, a bit of an echo chamber. Mm. Is there maybe a sense that with all that we're talking about here and all that you're doing, that you're preaching to the converted? Are you are you missing out on a large proportion of people that perhaps haven't caught up yet? That you're always going to get that with any sort of change. There, there'll be people that are further down the road. There's people that have they might have been hearing it and, and they're kind of excited by it but don't quite know where to start. And there'll be people that, you know, it's all kind of new to them and, and that can sometimes be uncomfortable. And, you know, let's be honest about that. My sense is that we we aren't preaching to the choir fully. I don't think it's, it's fully like that because actually a lot of my contacts from my previous role where, the, you know, we consider themselves part of that workplace community, their kind of attitude to us was, well, well done for catching up. You know, I, I get to, again, it might be the bubble. You know, it's very hard to work out whether you're in the bubble or not, uh, particularly if you're in the bubble. Um, you know, I, I'll speak at events and, you know, people that know me know I, get, I can get a little bit passionate and fired up about things. I've just been encouraged by the people coming up to me afterwards that might have been 20 years in the industry, that might have been, you know, sort of a diehard FMA going, this is so important right now, or this is so bang on the money, and this is so so needed right now. Because the reality, it goes back to that concept we talked about before, they keep doing everything the same way, but we're not where we want to be. We're not, you know, whether you call it more strategic or being in a boardroom or, or whatever it is. You know, we were talking about the Cinderella profession over at the facilities event in Birmingham. You know, wh- whatever it is, we're still talking about the same thing. So I think people are excited by that change. Uh, doesn't mean that they're fully comfortable with it i reckon that that for me feels like the prevailing kind of sense of what it is which is a sort of uncomfortable excitement our role now is to then start to break that down you know it's not like we're going to go to think fm next year and everyone's going to report back and go do you know what it's changed everything my life is completely different to what it was 12 months ago it's going to take time to linda's point around standards and qualifications and stuff i was asked by uh deborah ward you know sort of one of those pointy questions that you get on a panel if you could do one thing, what would you change? And I, I kind of danced around it. I don't because I don't think it's a single solution that solves it all. And so she sort of called me out a little bit, saying, well, "You don't get, you don't get to do that. You got to pick one." And I, I thought about it for a second and thought, actually, if you had to prioritise one thing, for me, it would be education. And we probably truly wouldn't see the benefit of it for ten years in terms of the people we're qualifying into the profession. Because you've talked about the profession being very open and again whoever wants to join and i'm just sort of being provocative here. you could look at that and say oh that's the sort of profession i want to be involved with it's all welcoming or you could look at it and go because we're not sport for choice right trying to get new people into the industry no one there's not a career of choice and all the rest of it no wonder we're welcoming because so if someone goes i've kind of fallen here and everyone's like come on in this is great you know because we haven't got the supply line of of new talent coming in that other professions have got everything that we're doing and we, we need to be really clear about this this is not about leaving fm behind this is about repurposing. You know, facilities management will support the workplace. It, it has to be really clear because the workplace is that overarching beast that everybody is involved with. But we've got to be really clear. You know, there will people 
in five years, 10 years, 20 years time that will still be called facilities managers. But their role and their purpose will evolve. And so from my perspective, you can be a workplace manager, you can be a facilities manager, you can be a workplace and facilities manager. It doesn't really matter as long as you're adding value. And that's a real key thing for me is that for the last 10 to 15 years, we've talked about cost reduction in the industry on the back of austerity and after the, the crash in 2007, it's all about being cost reduction. We're now seeing the whole industry trying to reframe the conversation into adding value. And one of the best people to do that within an organisation is the facilities or the workplace manager. And so if we can get that into post as Chris was saying, you know, look at 10 years' time and make sure that people start to pick this up as a career of choice. It's an urban myth, but it's, it's probably quite true that the vast majority of facilities managers operational today have come in from a different route. What we have to do is make it a career of choice. It's interesting that you say it was an urban myth there, Steve, from the briefing paper, you know, that we, we asked people to agree or disagree as strongly or weakly as they liked about whether I always planned to work in FM. And, you know, about 72% of people disagree yeah. that they always plan to work in FM. You know, it is part of our folklore that you stumble into this industry, you discover and you love it when you get here and maybe we're a very welcoming family and, yeah. and well, all of that stuff. Yeah. But... That does not fuel a strong profession where people grow up saying, I would love to be involved in that. Well, don't you think that that's why the skill set is so broad? So that mm. gives us the really good position. So we've got, we have to be have HR experience. We have to have experience of working in IT. We have to have contract management experience as well. So those practicing facilities managers have lots of key skills. And so that really, you know, that helps us position us as being the ideal place for anybody that wants to evolve and move forward from a, a workplace perspective. Going back to what you were just talking about there about you know career of choice, I've been sort of very, very, very heartened actually. I've been talking to a lot of young people in recent years, those people who have come straight into the industry. Some have come in via um, an academic route and one particular individual came in via the Prince's Trust where they work with a number of the large service providers to help get young people off the street. I met him at the events. He came up and shook my hand. He's so proud to wear his, you know, the, the badge of his company he's now working for. And he's done the Level 2 apprenticeship. He's done the Level 3 apprenticeship. He's now got a permanent job. And his life is on track. Look me in the eye. He said, one day, he said, I will have a master's. I said, and I will help you you know, in sort of mentoring and coaching and all the rest of it, I will give him that support. Obviously, he hasn't got the support from the Prince's Trust now. He's got the support from the organisation, but any additional support. And that really heartens me that we actually, the, what we have created you know, as an institute enables people either to leave school, go to university and get a degree in FM, or in actual fact, come up through that apprenticeship route, but then go on to that academic achievement. I'm hoping that... In four years' time, five years' time, we will not be talking about a skill shortage. We will not be talking about, oh, it's not a career of choice. We've got to start nurturing well, there's that. There's no evidence that it's happened so far, is there, properly? It's not fully switched on. You know, it's that thing, again, that you said about true potential. Mm. Does workplace unlock true potential because of that more attractive? Some of them, some of the story about you know the West Coast organisations making, let's be honest, sort of workplace more sexy. Some of this is, I think, about timing. You know, there are times when ideas are right and there are times when it's either too early or they missed the boat. Yep. But sometimes this is about timing. <laughs> 
So, there you go. We've left you on a cliffhanger to ponder the role of timing when it comes to systemic change. The second instalment is already live, so either dive straight in now or as soon as you've got another 30 minutes or so of listening time. I'll do a bit more of my usual reflective roundup at the end of part two, including name checks and thanks for submitting questions. But do please remember, if you are a BIFM member who can vote on the proposed change, you can do this either electronically now, check your emails, or in person at the AG in Manchester on July the 5th. It would be fantastic if the result reflected a significant proportion of the membership and it's the same story as with all elections. If you don't exercise your right to vote, please don't let me hear you grumbling about the outcome. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help us spread the Workplace Matters word. The Workplace Matters theme tune was written, performed and produced by the supremely talented Handspan. Find out more at handspanmusic.com. Right, that's your lot. Tune in to part two of this special roundtable discussion next. Cheers. (laughs) 